Hi everyone, I'm Stephanie Bowne and welcome to The Culture Catalyst, a podcast for leaders to embed the systems that create high-performance teams. I'm obsessed with the collective capacity for all humans to come together in small groups and make a difference. As a performance coach and author, I bring together a potent mix of positive psychology, neuroscience and organisation dynamics to help modern leaders create workplaces where people thrive. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to The Culture Catalyst. In today's episode, we're going to talk about one of my favourite topics when it comes to leading high performance in organisations, and that's feedback. First of all, thanks to those of you who've sent me your questions. It's been great to receive these questions and comments. I love hearing from you. I'll explore a couple of the questions that were sent through at the end of this week's episode. But today we're going to talk about feedback, and feedback is absolutely essential to performance. The habit of normalising feedback is one of the key habits of the leadership system that I've talked about in previous podcasts. Leadership as a system of behaviours that incorporates habits around how leaders set standards, so setting goals, how they normalise a feedback culture and how they coach strengths. And these three key behaviours that leaders demonstrate really elevate the performance of teams. So we're going to double click on normalising feedback. We're going to look at how we can create feedback cultures and normalising that process of giving feedback and receiving feedback as a way to really enhance the connection and ability for people to rise to high standards, high expectations of oneself and one another. Feedback is absolutely essential to performance. Now, we've all heard the saying that no news is good news, but when it comes to fostering high performance, that's just not true. So what happens in high-performing teams is that leaders adopt habits of highlighting the good news, and they do this often. And the reason that they're doing this is because they're reinforcing the positive behaviours that drive value in teams. We're keying people into what works. And when we highlight those behaviours that add value, we reinforce and encourage more of the same. So when we're giving feedback on performance, we're talking about what works and what doesn't work. And we're creating an environment where it's safe to do that. But so many of us shy away from feedback conversations. And I think it's because a lot of us, sadly, only ever call out feedback when something's going wrong. So, you you know, the dreaded words, we hear these dreaded words, oh, I think we need to have a feedback conversation or I've got a piece of feedback for you. And instantly our defense mechanisms come up, our shackles are up. We're ready to kind of be preparing ourselves for the bad news. And that's that's a shame because what's happening is we're only ever calling out feedback when something's wrong. What we need to do is completely flip our relationship to feedback and see it as a positive. And that we, the only way we can do that in teams is when leaders, managers, team members alike get into the habit of calling out and highlighting when we're doing things right, okay, when we're doing things that actually enable and support and help one another. And when we're doing calling out what's working well way more than when we're calling out what's not working well, we actually create an environment where people lean into feedback, where they want more of it, where they see it as an opportunity for connection, for growth, where we feel more appreciated, more observed, more acknowledged. When we develop a positive relationship with feedback, we create a feedback culture that's normalized. The following excerpt from my book today provides an example of an organization where feedback was a normalized part of the culture. 
And it was a personal experience that I had of working with a leader who was exceptionally good at this. So I hope you enjoy the excerpt because the example I feel is a very powerful one and one that I often use when I talk to groups about the power of feedback. This reading is from Purpose, Passion and Performance by Stephanie Bowne, how systems for leadership, culture and strategy drive the three P's of high-performing organisations. I used to dread feedback. I was afraid of it because I had a fear of failure. So I did everything I could to avoid it. My fear of failure made me a high achiever, yes, but it was energy sapping. Thankfully, my relationship to feedback started to change when I joined management consulting company Nous Group. Nous was the place I aspired to be after university. It was my professional goal. Being accepted as a consultant there was a big deal for me, and the experiences and learnings I gained set me up for a lifetime of performance consulting. In my early days at Nous, I attended a client meeting with one of the principals, Penelope. I took copious notes during the meeting and observed Penelope in action, keen to learn as much as I could. As soon as the doors on the lift closed on our way out, Penelope turned to me and asked, How do you think that went? I was effusive in my praise. Then she said, Great, thank you. Now can I please have some feedback on what I could have done better? I hesitated, clearly at a loss for words. Here was someone I respected, someone I was trying to impress, asking me to tell her where she'd fallen short. She could see I was struggling with it, so she gently asked again. There's always something I can do, just a little better. What's something small, just the 1%? This helped. I recall that there was someone in the meeting who'd asked a question that Penelope only partly answered. She said, oh yes, of course, I meant to answer her in two parts, but I was distracted by my own train of thought. Thanks for pointing that out. That was helpful. Phew, I'd done it. I started to relax, thinking the feedback conversation was over. Then she turned to me and asked, would you like some feedback? Yikes, here it was, the very thing I'd been dreading. She said, I noticed you took lots of notes, but didn't offer any ideas in the meeting today. Steph, we hired you for your mind. I've seen you back in the office and you've always got valuable things to add. Next time, I'd love to hear what you have to say, and I'm sure the client would too. Penelope's words really stuck with me. She was appreciating what I had to offer and encouraging me to live up to my potential. I instantly knew I could trust her to be honest with me and let me know whether I was meeting the standards that she and our clients expected. I later learned that this practice of asking for and giving each other feedback following every client interaction was not only encouraged but expected at NAUS. It was normalised to have an objective conversation about what we did well and where we could have done better each time we left a client meeting. At NAUS Group, I relearned my response to feedback. It went from something I dreaded for the possible shame of something not good enough being highlighted to something I enjoyed for the opportunity to learn or be appreciated. I learned how feedback done well deepens trust and respect. It creates safety in relationships that enables both parties to continuously learn and improve. This reading was from Purpose, Passion and Performance, awarded top three leadership books in Australia in 2001. So I'm forever grateful to Penelope for that experience. It's helped me understand that to lean into feedback, we need to change our relationship to feedback. We need to see it for what it is. It's a gift. 
It's a gift that somebody gives us to help us understand how what we're doing is actually enabling the situation, the customer, the organization. And that gives us signals to know where we need to ramp up. So to learn how to change the relationship to feedback for leaders, there are a couple of things to keep in mind. First is get the quality of the feedback you're giving right. Second is get the quantity of the feedback you're giving right. And third is to normalize a feedback culture. So let's explore each of these in turn. We need to get the quality of feedback right. When we're giving feedback, we need to make it about the behavior, not the person. When we make feedback about behavior, we're making it constructive. We're making it about something somebody can change. It's not about their personality that is inherent to them, that is not changeable. Behavior is easy to change if we're aware of what needs to change. So constructive feedback can be positive or negative. It can be about a positive behavior that's enabling and supporting, or it can be about a a negative behavior that's not very helpful, that's actually having a negative impact on performance or the people around us. Constructive feedback that's positive or negative is different to praise and criticism. So praise is like a general vague statement. It's about saying something like, we're great, you're awesome, go team, we're the best, I love you, you know, that kind of, it's wonderful stuff to say. It makes people feel good and it's important for morale. So we don't want to stop giving praise, but so that praise turns into performance driver, a, a driver of performance. When you give praise, talk also about what it is that person is doing well that's enabling us. And then that turns praise into positive, constructive feedback. So just add that extra little sentence and that's going to make all the difference to the way that you're giving feedback with your teams and with people around you. Try it with your kids. If you've got children, if you're pointing out when they do great things, like when they take their lunchbox out of their bag, like when they take their dishes to the sink, like when they tidy up their rooms, if we're actually congratulating them on the positive stuff, we start to see them do more of those things. And it's the same with adults in the workplace. Really, you know, some of that positive reinforcement stuff doesn't change much with our psychology throughout life. And of course, we need to highlight when things aren't working well, but avoid criticism, which is an opinion or a judgment, and use constructive negative feedback. Highlight what that person is doing that's not helpful and the impact that's having on people around them. So an example of that is when you arrive late to the meeting, it's a challenge because it forces all of us to recap what we've just covered and wastes the first 10 minutes of our time. So I'd really appreciate if you can come to meetings prepared and on time so that we all can use our time effectively. When we're giving feedback, it's really important that we highlight the behavior, we make it constructive, and we talk about the impact that that behavior is having, whether it's a positive or a negative impact. So that's about getting quality right when it comes to giving feedback. That's the tone of it, if you like. Let's talk about the quantity of feedback. So I think I mentioned at the start of this podcast that what we need to do is change our relationship to feedback. What we get caught up in is the idea that, you know, positive to negative balance of feedback is a one for one. When in fact, that actually, the research shows that that doesn't drive high performance. Really high performing teams are calling out the good versus what needs to change, the positive versus the negative constructive feedback six times more than the negative feedback. So calling out what's working well, regularly, often, that's about encouraging more and more of the same stuff that drives value. So to create a feedback culture 
and taking these two concepts about quantity and quality of feedback to bring this into your leadership practice to normalize a feedback culture is to make the habit of giving positive constructive feedback a daily habit. So really just calling out the stuff people are doing well. And what that does is it builds up relationship equity, you know, emotional equity in the relationship. People feel seen, they feel acknowledged. So that when comes the time for you to call out something that people do need to ramp up on, they're not quite meeting expectations, they haven't quite demonstrated the value we're trying to to really live in our business, we're trying to call them out on something that can be quite challenging, we have the trust already built up in the relationship so that they are willing to receive what you have to say. You know, when people feel appreciated, when they feel that you've acknowledged all the hard work that they've done, they are going to take on board your feedback around where they can improve. No problems at all. But if you're only ever calling out when they're not really meeting expectations and they don't feel seen and they don't feel appreciated for all the good work they've done, what that does do is create ill will. It does damage the relationship. So when I'm talking to leaders about normalizing a feedback culture, first of all, highlighting make sure you're making it a habit. But how do you systematize that habit of calling out positive, constructive feedback on a regular basis? Do yourself a favor and build it into your practice. So think about how can I normalize this like Penelope did at NAUS Group, where after every client interaction, it was, you know, an expectation that the principals would ask the consultants for feedback and vice versa. Where does this sit in your life? Can it be that you ask for feedback at the end of every team meeting? How did the team meeting go? How are we going? How can I help you better? Can you ask for feedback in your one-on-ones with your team members on a weekly basis? Start off with a quick feedback check-in. Where can you make feedback part of your habit so that you don't have to remember or remind yourself when and how? So thread it in. Thread it into how you operate as a leader and make your life easier that way. One of the things I do try and do with teams when I'm working with them, especially leadership teams, getting used to giving feedback is ripping the, it's like ripping off a Band-Aid, right? The actual anticipation of that Band-Aid coming off is way worse than the Band-Aid coming off, right? We often anticipate a feedback conversation is going to be gnarly. It's going to be challenging. The reality is that when we're sitting across from one another and giving each other positive, constructive feedback, and highlighting areas where we can improve, the reality is that that generates so much, such a strong bond in teams that people realize, why aren't we doing this more often? It's such a great thing for us to do. So often when I'm working with leadership teams, I get them to rip that bandaid off by doing feedback speed dating. So literally they get into pairs and they face off and they have 10 minute rounds where they sit and each have time to give each other feedback on at least for things they're seeing in that other that they're doing well, that they want to see more of, and at least one opportunity for improvement. And when they get into this habit and they rotate that a number of times each time they meet, this new normal starts to emerge where actually I I need feedback. I want feedback. I, I value what my peers and colleagues have to say and they help me improve. And what that does is generate this kind of trust that it's safe to call out with one another what's working and what's not working or where we can improve to meet the standards we're setting and the expectations we're setting around both performance and how we operate in our culture. So feedback is a wonderful skill and tool to master. In the book, there are a couple of models you can can adopt and play with. One's called the AID model for feedback, which is about highlighting actions, impact, and desired outcome, which I've 
referred to in this in this podcast. But if you want some specific direction, then please do go to the book and uh, and download this chapter and see what you can what you can glean from that. So I've received a few direct messages on LinkedIn and emails asking me to explore some concepts and observations raised. So thanks to those who sent in questions. I'll do my best to answer them. Here we go. Philip from Sydney, New South Wales asks, Steph, thanks for your podcast. I was in a session you ran with our company a few years ago. We still use your feedback framework around normalising feedback and creating a feedback culture. My question is, we have a new CEO starting with the business in four weeks. I'm a little nervous that all the cultural work we've done may be swept aside. Any tips for managing up and how can I approach this? Philip, this is such a great question. With a new CEO coming into an organisation, it's normal to wonder how that individual's impact on culture is going to play out. I would suggest that in this scenario, it would be wonderful for you and the CEO to connect on values. So I work with CEOs a lot of the time. I'd be very surprised if a CEO is coming in and wanting to kind of in inverted commas, take over. More often what happens when a new CEO starts in a business is he or he, she or they wants to listen, you know, really get in there and meet their people and listen to what's going on to try and understand where the opportunities are, where the challenges are, where they can enable the organisation to perform. So I'd be really surprised if this new individual wasn't willing to sit down and have a conversation with you about culture. And like any conversation on culture, I would suggest starting with values. So whatever your organisational values are, sit down, pop them on the table and say, right, what, what, what does it mean for you to demonstrate these values? What does it look like to live them? And then you can share your observations and talk with this individual about how these values are enabling your organisation to perform and where you see the opportunities for you as a leadership group or you as an organisation to really step up in how we live the values. And I'm sure that will give you an opportunity to connect over something that's meaningful for both of you. So hopefully that helps and uh, I'd love to, to stay in touch on that. Emily from Moorabbin in Victoria, thanks for your question. Emily wrote, I am a people and culture manager for a company of around 500 employees. We're in manufacturing and we've been battling the culture divide between the factory floor and the admin for years. How can we narrow the divide? We're looking at a team day. In the past, they've just been barbecue and drinks. Any suggestions for how we should structure the day? Love this question, Emily. I've worked in a number of organisations where this is a challenge. What we really need to do is think about ways you can connect people or help them understand how they are interconnected in the way that they work together. What's one thing they all share is they all serve the same purpose. You're all there to serve a single purpose that the organisation exists to deliver, how you add value to your customers. So I'd get the group together and before or after the, the barbecue, depending on you know how you want to run it, I'd get them together and mix them up into different groups, maybe groups of five or six, making sure there's a good mix of admin and warehouse team and get them to have a conversation with each other about how they serve the purpose of the business, how they each add value and post-it note each of those ideas and put them all up on a big wall and facilitate a conversation about how did, what do we notice about the similarities between the different groups on why we what we're here to, how we're here to serve purpose and what we're here to do and what did they notice about the differences so what we're trying to do is generate a sense of appreciation for 
the fact that we are all here for the same thing. And in fact, we're all, we all add value in different ways. I think it'd be really interesting to also look at other ways of looking at similarities and differences like tenure. So get groups who've worked the longest to work together and groups who've been the most recent to work together. Uh, And also look at differences in leadership level. So get the leaders, team leaders, managers, and get the frontline employees to work together as well. So grouping in different ways helps the individuals in the group really understand that actually we're part of a system. We're all here to work together. How can we appreciate the interconnectedness of our group? So hopefully that gives you a couple of ideas to go on. And again, I'd really love to hear how your day goes. So if you want to DM me your questions or thoughts, you can contact me on LinkedIn or you can email me at stephanie at and I'll explore your questions in future episodes. If you'd like to participate in a free online learning event for CEOs, founders or people and culture executives, go to my website stephaniebound.com forward slash events for more information and to secure your spot. This year, we have a program of events on how to create alignment, transform culture, or inspire high performance. I look forward to seeing you there. Thanks for listening to The Culture Catalyst. If you've enjoyed the show, please like and subscribe and feel free to leave a review. And if you want to connect, you can find me always on LinkedIn. So what will be your catalyst for change today? I'm Stephanie Bowne. See you next time on The Culture Catalyst.